Hi, and welcome back to this podcast, Boy and the Wolves of Chilga, the first in the Wolves of Chilga series. Episode 9 Time to Return The soldiers. The captain sat exhausted on the ground. His horse, head hung down, shivered beside him. He had never known such a day. The creatures, he shook his head. No one would believe him when he retold his story at home. He looked around. The soldiers just lay where they got off or fell off their horses. Prime troops, the best there was, reduced to this. He looked up at the mountain. Why had the wolves risked this? What had driven them? He lay back, exhausted. What prize could possibly be worth this journey? Meanwhile, at the base of the Purple Mountain, it was nearly dawn by the time the bottle was full of the flower's juice. Although Boy was tired, he was eager to start the journey home. They all agreed that they would set out that morning, and so hurried to pack up and begin. Boy sat looking at his hands and shook his head. Boy, is there a problem? asked Walter. Boy looked up and smiled. I still don't know how it happened. Why I could make the flowers release the goodness? Walsa came up to him, sniffed his hands, then looked keenly at Boy, and sniffed the mark on his arm and nodded to himself. Do you remember just before the goodness was released? You sat hunched up, knees to your chest and gripping your arms? Boy nodded. He remembered. Your hand was covering the mark, the mark of the wolf. Perhaps it is more than just a sign of who you are, but a part of it and you. Boy nodded and wondered if he would ever fully understand the mark on his arm and its power. Wusser continued, I think at this stage we accept the gift of the flowers and begin our journey home. Biter and Boy led the way. They almost strolled down the avenue, the morning sun warming them. Will you return to your home, Boy, when we're back at the village? Yes, Biter, but I shall miss you all. Perhaps I might be able to come back. That would be the best. He smiled at the thought of returning at weekends when staying with Gramdy. They climbed the broken stones by the entrance and looked back at the mountain. Boy sighed. He knew a long and dangerous journey awaited. The happy, relaxed thoughts disappeared and the knot of tension returned as he started to think about the dangers outside. He climbed up the rubble, pushed through the gap, feeling the jagged stones brushing his arm as he carefully stepped his way over the broken floor and through to the other side and the sunlight. Suddenly there were hands gripping him, hurting his arms. He was being hauled through the gap. He tripped on the rubble-strewn floor. He was picked up by a man in a tattered tunic. He looked angry. He was covered in dirt and dust. There were other men with spears. It was so confusing. He shouted for Biter. The walls were baying. There were men shouting and there was a crunching noise. He turned his head. They were rolling the massive stone shield across the gap before Biter could get through. Boy desperately squirmed against the hands to get away. He could see Biter's head over the top of the round shield, but his snarling and growls and efforts to push against it were useless. The hands hurt his arms even more as he was roughly pulled round. A hand gripped his chin and forced him to look up into the sneering face of his captor. Boy felt fear wash through him. He couldn't understand what was happening. Men with swords and spears. Why were they holding him? What were they going to do to him? 
And what do we have here? A village child. The captain is going to enjoy this. Where do you want the brat, captain? The man he addressed was at the blocked entrance, laughing at Biter's increasingly desperate efforts. A sword and knife hung from his waist. He looked around. Boy could feel a cold dread through him. Boy, are you there? Are you safe? It was Walser's voice in his head. Before he could answer, the man walked towards him. He was probably in his thirties, his face cold and hard. He looked Boy up and down before grabbing Boy by the tunic. Men have died chasing you. My men, you will pay for that. Now, why are you here and what is behind there that is so important? He threw Boy to the floor. Shock and pain hit him. He'd never been so frightened in his life. Wolsa, said Boy in his mind. There are men with swords. They say they're going to kill me. They want to know why we're here. What am I, what am I to do, Wolsa? Who are they? I've, I've never seen them before. Calm, Boy, calm. Tell me what you see. Take deep breaths. Look and tell me. Captain, if we climb up the ruins... We can throw our spears down and kill them from above. The captain looked up at the soldier who climbed onto the very top of the broken archway. Well done. This I like. Finally a useful suggestion. I'll deal with the brat first. Then we can gather the men up there with you. I am going to enjoy this. He turned to boy. You can save them, lad. Just tell me what you are doing here, and we will not kill the pack. Well. Do we agree? Boy knew he was lying. He was telling Walsa what was happening and being said. It helped keep the panic at bay. There must be fifteen of them, Walsa, all with swords and spears. They're mostly on the ground by the entrance. There are two with me and the captain, and then there's one on the top. He's saying they're going to throw the spears down onto you. We see him. You must tell him the truth, boy. These men will know if you're lying. It does not matter now if they know or not. He felt the beginning of the power beginning to build in him. But he knew somehow it could not work against this man. Not yet. All such thoughts disappeared as the man who they called the captain kicked the boy with his foot. Well, village brat, what have you to say? Before he could think or speak, there was a cry from the top of the archway. Captain! The boy looked up as well. A soldier was pointing in the distance. Two men beside him were shielding their eyes. Well, said the captain, what is it? On the horizon, dust, like a troop of men. It's coming straight towards us, I think. I, I can only see one shape, though. The captain stood beside Boy and watched. Boy could see from the frown on his face he was concerned. He grabbed Boy's arms. Do you know what it is? And turned him so he could see the dust. But the sun was still close to the horizon. It shone in his eyes. I, I don't know, sir. It's not any of us. I think it's just one thing, said the soldier. It must be big. Suddenly, Boy was forgotten. The captain sprang further up the stone so he could see better. Wolsa had told the wolves to stay where they were, away from the block gap. Boy was left on the ground. He could feel the power growing now. Must be the beast, he thought. Come to me, he whispered to him. Quickly, come to me. He looked around. There were plenty of hiding places he could crawl into if necessary. Boy, can you hear me still? Stay still, but be prepared to run. Biter, can you see it? Good. Biter thinks it is one animal. 
Wolsa told the pack to slowly back out and form a semicircle around the back of the entrance to stop the soldiers coming over the top. There was a tense silence. As the men watched the cloud getting nearer, the shape beginning to take form, the men began to get alarmed as they too realized it was a single thing. A single big thing. Boy heard neighing. Horses. He hadn't seen them before. The men's horses were tied up further along the wall. They were getting agitated, pulling against their tethers. It's the thing, the monster, the creature that chased us, shouted the soldier beside him. It's followed us. It's going to kill us this time. They were all shouting, moving around, looking for places to hide in the rocks. The captain stood there, hands on hips, lips tightly drawn, watching. He looked at his men and then back to the approaching shape. Boy did not know what the man was thinking, but instinctively knew he had to hide. The men were shouting, the horses were screaming wildly and trying to get away. The captain pointed to the soldier. You, grab the brat. The rest of you, up here. But before any could move, Boy was off and running across the broken archway to a small hole under the fallen column and amongst the huge scattered stones. It was small. Only he and Malena could have squeezed into the opening. He felt the jagged stone scraping his arms and legs. But he was in. It was bigger inside. He could see it was an L-shaped. He twisted around the L-shape so he could see and look out, but could not be reached. Scrabbling outside, footsteps and loose stones. A curse and a dirty hand and a leather-covered arm was waving around, fingers searching for him. He pushed himself up against the side wall, legs against his chest, holding his breath. He dared move. His heart pounded. The dirty hand moved around, felt the edge of the wall where it turned and hid Boy. Stones moving. Then the hand was gone. Boy stared at the entrance, watching and waiting. He strained to hear every sound. The background noise of neighing and shouts of men were close to him, heavy breathing and grunts of effort. Then the arm and the hand were back. I know you're there, you little brat. Wait till I get you. I'll teach you. The hand reached the corner, grunting as the arm changed angles. The hand came again, further around. Despite the man mostly blocking the entrance, Boy could see his hand. There were small chips of stone beside him. One shaped like a triangle. A knife. He picked it up and jabbed it at the hand. A scream and the hand was gone. More cursing. A whine almost. By his crown. He's coming. Coming. You little toad. You'll pay. Do you hear me? You're going to pay for this. Then a scrape of metal and wood. Boy jerked back, banged his head against the wall and winced. It was a spear. The man grunted, then the spear jerked forward. Back and forward, again and again at different angles. It was near his face. He was gone. It scraped against the side of the entrance. The man couldn't get it around any further. It dropped down, back again near his ankles. He hugged himself as tightly as he could. He hardly dared breathe. More curses. Can't reach him. I'm coming up. It's the monster for sure. He edged around carefully and looked out of his hiding place. He could see the men climbing up or milling around near the top of the fallen archway. The one who had tried to spear Boy was climbing as quickly as he could to join the others. They were all looking around for places to hide. Get over that wall and finish those walls, the captain screamed at them. They all started to climb up the rubble as quickly as they could, slipping in their panic, looking over their shoulders at the advancing dust cloud. The walls were barking and baying. The ground was beginning to rumble. Faster, Boy called. Faster. 
The rumble became thumps. He could hear its roar. Steady, Walter said. Watch if any try and throw their spears. We do not want to give them a chance to regroup on the flat ground. Take them on the stones as they come over. A roar, an ear-piercing roar. The ground trembled with each step, and a huge shadow cut across the ground in front of Boy. The horses were screaming in the background. Men shouted in terror, and there it was. The giant two-legged predator towering over the soldiers. It was massive. Not as tall as the wall. Boy could see its back long tail, huge legs and beak-like mouth. It leaned down towards the man who had tried to get Boy. It knocked his spear to one side and opened its huge beak. The man threw up his arms to protect himself. He was grabbed and the limp form thrown onto the ruined archway. The creature turned, started to climb up the rubble. Its head came down. Another man gone. Too late to climb over the rubble, the soldiers desperately tried to hide amongst the broken boulders. It sought them out, one after another. It climbed to the blocked gap. Walsa's calm voice. A soldier is coming down. He's going to attack. Watch his spear, Hunter. Well done, well done. A final whinny from the horses. They'd broken away. They were running as fast as they could back over the plains. Boy smiled. A roar from the monster. It was looking around for any more men. Its huge feet searched for purchase, sliding and pulling stones down as it looked around the top of the fallen archway. It leaned down near the top once again, and then all was quiet. The soldiers were no more. The beast could not climb any higher. It was too steep. He could look over the top, but could do no more. It roared as he looked down at the wolf pack on the other side. Stay still, pack. Do not move, ordered Wolfsa. Boy had moved forward and was squatting by the entrance. He stood up, feeling the power course through him. Stop, he ordered, as he raised his hands. Stop, he shouted again. It turned and stared at Boy, roaring defiance. Go, go on, go now. He felt the beast's resistance. He concentrated more, felt this time a tingling in his arms, as though the power was almost physical, leaving him through his arms. He pointed at the beast. Go! The creature roared at him in defiance, but he felt its resistance diminishing. It turned and started to climb down. It was watching him through a single tiny eye as it started to move away from the archway. Boy had to look up and up to retain control as it neared him. He felt the power of the beast, felt the strong animal scent. He almost wavered. He did not dare take his eyes away from the beast's eye. It turned his head towards him, beginning to bend down, the huge claws on his powerful front legs closer. It opens its huge beak, showing the deadly rows of yellow teeth along its mouth, and then a final roar. The noise was deafening, the breath, hot and rank, made him blink for a second. But the beast was turning away. It stood up and carried on past. The ground shook as it strode into the distance. A bark. Boy looked up and grinned. In his efforts to reach the soldiers, the beast had dislodged the stone shield blocking the gap. The wolves were streaming down. They surrounded him. He hugged them as they licked his face, swirling round them. He was laughing for joy. Then he felt Malena's arms round him, hugging him, and he was hugging her back. 
You do look a sight, said Biter, but I'm glad to see you got nothing more than a few cuts and bruises. Boy dusted himself down, laughing, reassuring them the cuts did not hurt. Well done, boy, said Wolfsa. You are indeed the prophecy. Wolfsa gathered the pack around him. He spoke of the journey back, the need for care and caution. But there was a lightness about them all as they faced whatever lay ahead. Boy knew it was because he was there. He had proved that he could and would protect them, not to hurt other animals, just to stop them from hurting the pack. His pack. And so they set off. It became a time of routines, strange routines. Scouts spotting the giant creatures, Boy gently encouraging them to move away from the pack. His strength grew, and he was able to better focus his thoughts, engage with animals further away, keeping them at a safe distance. Very soon, the mountains of the east began to take shape, and then a green band around their base, a band that became a forest, the jungle that would lead them to the steps, the tunnel, and finally to the land of the kith of Chilga. The wolves entered the jungle with a sense of dread. The heat, the closeness, so many dangers they could not see and did not understand. The wolves soon became restless. They ran together as closely as they could, on their guard every minute. Time and again, Biter jerked to the left or the right, convinced he had seen something. They lay that night exhausted. I know I smelt something. It was only for a second. But I have that scent in my nostrils before, said Biter. There is a stillness in the air this time. It's too quiet. When we entered the jungle before, there was such a noise. I had never heard such a calling of animals and birds screaming and singing. Yet this time, they all listened. You are right, Walter reflected. There is only birdsong. There is a predator here, one that moves on the ground, perhaps of the size and strength of the giant cat, or indeed the cat itself. The next day was the same. The wolves became increasingly nervous, stopping time and again. Once Hunter, who was scouting in front, came rushing back. It's him, the cat, I'm sure of it he said breathlessly. I only caught a glimpse for a second, but I'm sure it was him. Be on your guard, everyone, Wolfson warned. We must keep moving. Evening brought them to a clearing, as big as the one where Boy had faced the giant cat. A stream ran near the far edge. They walked exhausted across the clearing and quenched their thirst before lying down by the jungle edge. Birdsong, insect buzzing, but there was no other sound. Walsa remained standing, sniffing the air. What is it, Walsa? Melena asked. I sense a power across the clearing. Be still, everyone. The bushes and lower branches were moving. A face, then a head, and then the body of the giant cat. It paused, looked at them, and sat on its haunches. It was even bigger than Boy remembered. Over two meters of muscled strength as broad as Biter and Growler put together. It looked at Boy, and a voice came into his head. You have done well, child, but have a care. You have still much to learn. I am in your debt, and shall be repaid now.
You shall be safe here in my jungle. With that, he looked about the clearing in a slow, deliberate manner, closed his eyes once, then stood, turned around, and was gone. The pack looked to Walsa, who spoke before they could. He talked to the boy, but this time I could hear. He offers protection in payment of the debt. Nodding towards boy. I, for one, will sleep much easier, knowing he is there protecting us. I suggest we all get some sleep. Dawn is not far behind us. Are you sure? said Hunter. Can we trust it? Yes, Hunter, we can trust him. I suspect you would have been dead many times over had he chosen otherwise. Rest easy, all of you. They made much greater progress through the rest of the jungle, no longer careful of every noise. Soon they reached the steps leading to the waterfall. Here, Boy was alert, constantly watching the sky. He had found that he was able to call the power at will, so that when a bird began to come close, he ensured it quickly sheared away. Soon they were on the plains again, days upon days of long rides and running. The pack and everyone had mixed feelings. Tired of the travel, but relieved because this was their land. A land they could feel safe in. The day of arrival at the wolves' home should have been a joyous occasion. The camp was on the lower slopes, behind a wood and a stream, a network of caves that had been the wolves' home since the beginning of the pack. And it should have been a time of greeting and celebration with the full pack. A time to tell their tales and, of course, see their families. Yet the camp was silent when they arrived. It had proved too late for the oldest and youngest. Both Wulsa and Baita had lost relatives. Many of those who were left had the sickness, were shrunken and clearly close to death. Wolves sat at the entrance to caves, too weak to rise and greet the wanderers. Wulsa took them straight to the largest cave, a natural hall where all the wolves could gather for the meetings a place for all matters relating to the pack to be discussed. Wulsa was relieved that Milena had stayed and not asked to be returned to her village, for he knew she would take care of dispensing the goodness. The basket was brought in for her. Now battered with many rips and the handle nearly eaten through where the wolves had carried it in their mouths, it was carefully unpacked to reveal the bottle containing the goodness. Boy was looking around at the cave when he realized the wolves were parting. A wolf was slowly coming towards them, carrying her cub in her mouth. The cub was whimpering. The mother placed it in front of Boy and Milena. Please, help my son, she simply said. All the wolves were silent. None could deny her this last and only chance to save her cub. Milena took out a small bowl, poured a little liquid into it, and placed it in front of the cub. It had slunk to the ground, closed its eyes, and put its head on its front paws. Drink it, my son. Please, drink it, the mother wolf whispered to her cub. The cub's nostrils twitched. He slowly lifted his head and looked at the bowl. Milena pushed it under his chin, tilting it so that the cub could lick the contents without moving. He licked the precious liquid once, then sank his hair down again, 
boy looked at Milena and the mother, not daring to move. Nothing stirred. The only sound was the gentle movement of the branches and the trees and the wind outside the cave. All waited. Then the cub opened his eyes. He stretched and slowly and shakily stood up. He wagged his tail and turned to lick his mother's face. The wolves erupted. They bayed, yelped, and leapt around in sheer joy and relief. Many rushed off to tell their ailing nearest and dearest that there was hope after all. Wolfsa sank to the ground beside Boy and closed his eyes. The prophecy is fulfilled, he said quietly to himself. He opened his eyes and looked at Boy. Boy felt the warmth and the gratitude wash over him before Wolfsa even spoke. Thank you, boy, he simply said. Thank you. Milena grinned at Boy and then became businesslike. She turned to Wolfsa. Shall we take the bowl to the ones who most need it? Yes, yes, you are right, Wolfsa stood up. Come, give way, everyone. Let her pass. Immediately the wolves parted, and Milena, concentrating on every step, carefully walked towards the caves where the sick and dying wolves lay. Boy was faced with an endless stream of thanks and congratulations. Embarrassed, he quietly rose, smiling and thanking them, and made his way to the back of the cave and sleep. It was early the next morning that Boy and Milena were awoken. The goodness was working. All the wolves that had been ailing, even those close to death, were now showing signs of recovery. Biter explained that the wolves from the other four packs were keen to return to their homes to treat the sick there. Milena was asked to split the goodness between them, and while she busied herself, Hunter, Silverback, Growl and the others said their goodbyes. All too soon, he was standing beside Milena and Biter as the wolves set off for their journey home. He and Milena agreed it was time for them to go home as well. Amid bays and wishes of goodwill to them both, Wolfsa, Biter, Blackthroat and the two children set out. Blackthroat had offered to carry Milena now that Growl had returned to his own caves. It was days before they reached the village. They were met at the outskirts by the village leader Sentra and the seer Wolfria. After a formal welcome to the wolves, there were hugs and tears from Elena's parents and a welcome hug from Detra, who had fully recovered. Everyone was delighted to see them return and brought food and drink even more delicious than Boy remembered. They sat in the fields and listened as Wolfsir through Wolfria told the story of what had happened. Increasingly, the eyes of the villagers turned from puzzlement to amazement and then admiration as Wolfria relayed the tale. They were all disappointed, and particularly Detra and Milena, when Boy explained he needed to go home that night. Detra joined Milena and the three wolves as they accompanied Boy to the tunnel. It seemed to take forever, but finally they stood before the wooden wall set in the tunnel entrance. Boy turned and hugged the children and bite her before turning to Wolfsa. Do you think I'll be able to come back, Wolfsa? All of them turned expectantly to the large wolf. The yellow and black eyes, full of kindness and wisdom, looked down into his. We do not know, boy, but I sense a shift in the way of the land. I sense a corruption. You are the prophecy. I believe in your power and your strength. 
your spirit is now weaved into the land. Perhaps you will be needed again. Indeed, it may well be that you return. After final hugs to his friends, he faced the wooden wall. He placed his hand upon it. The same cold and damp cobwebby feeling as before as he pushed through the wood. And then he was in the tunnel. He searched for and found the wall. He felt the wind suddenly pushing him, the mist clearing, the light going. He felt strange, his skin itchy. The air was cold and his clothes felt heavy. He was not unwell, but everything was somehow a bit of an effort. Boy stretched. Something was odd. He reached the entrance and sighed with relief. There in front of him in the moonlight were the dim shapes of the garden. He walked out of the tunnel and towards the welcoming light of the kitchen window. He could see Gramby moving around, busy as ever. He was home. He hesitated and put his hands to his chest. His clothing, the wonderful tunic had gone. The heavy winter coat back. He looked down, his trainers back on his feet, undamaged. He felt his tummy. Mm, it was back too. He grimaced. He would have to do something about that, he thought, as he walked towards the house. But first, he had quite a lot to tell Gramdy. Meanwhile, the captain's face was thin, his clothing torn and covered in dirt. He gazed out from the tunnel entrance across the land. Such a journey back. Twice the moon had risen and fallen before he had reached the tunnel that would take him through the mountains to the emperor and safety. Two days before, he had skirted the pack's caves. The wolves had looked healthy. Whatever it was they had found in the purple mountains had clearly worked. He reflected once more that he had been lucky despite the hardships. Had the beast at the wall not tossed the body of the sergeant onto him, it would have found him. Instead. He had survived. He shrugged. The wolves had won the battle, but the victory would be short-lived. He would return home safely, and he would return a hero. The fact the pact had escaped him would be nothing, for he had discovered the lost city. He smiled as he remembered the broken columns. There could be no mistake. The legend of the city and the crown of power. It was real after all. It was here and he had found it. The emperor and his warlocks would reward him with anything he asked. The boy, though, he had power. Real power. He had watched through the gap in the stones, amazed as a boy had controlled the giant killer. He should have killed him when he had the chance. He would not make the same mistake twice. This was Boy and the Wolves of Chilga, written, narrated, and recorded by Simon Taylor. For more information about Simon Taylor, his books, radio broadcasts, and school storytelling, go to www.simontaylorstoryteller.com.